Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to a history of Europe. Key battles. The Battle of Hattin of 1187. You're listening to part of the soundtrack from The Kingdom of Heaven, a 2005 film about the Crusader states of the Middle East. It's a fascinating period of history that deserves to be better well known. In the next four podcasts, I will tell the story of the Crusader States. From their birth to a crushing blow they suffered in 1187, at the hands of the most famous Muslim leader of the time, Saladin. In the last podcast, I told the story of the First Crusade, which culminated in the conquest of Jerusalem, the city most holy to the Christian church. The expedition had had its ups and downs, but in the end there were remarkable victories in the field against Muslim enemies, as well as the capture of the cities of Nicaea, Edessa and Antioch, among others. In all, it had been a great success and vindicated the idea among the Crusaders and their supporters that their war was just and had been approved of by their God. It left a legacy in the shape of four new Christian states in Palestine and Syria. The first of these states, the county of Edessa, was formed by Baldwin of Boulogne, who, while the other crusaders were besieging Antioch in late 1097, led his contingent to the city of Edessa at the invitation of its Armenian Christian inhabitants and established himself as ruler of the surrounding area. The largest and most prestigious of the Crusader states was the Kingdom of Jerusalem, captured on the 15th of June, 1099. The Principality of Antioch was founded by Bohemond, a Norman from southern Italy, and one of the leaders of the Crusade, who refused to hand over the conquered city to Emperor Alexius of Byzantium. The coastline area between Antioch and Jerusalem was conquered by another leader of the crusade, Raymond of Toulouse, who formed the county of Tripoli. For the first year following the first crusade, the very survival of the crusader states hung in the balance. Amid the exultant drive towards the singular goal of the holy city, the crusaders had largely ignored the need for systematic conquest. Once that main goal had been achieved, the great mass of the army, considering their mission accomplished, returned home. 
A number of individual crusaders, though, decided to settle in the country, such as Godfrey of Boulogne, elder brother of Baldwin of Boulogne, who was elected leader of Jerusalem. But he had available only about 300 knights, and his first offensive, the siege of Jaffa in the autumn of 1099, failed. Then the year later, he died of typhoid. Godfrey's death left the newborn Frankish realm of Jerusalem in a state of turmoil. His wish seems to have been that the lordship of the holy city passed to his brother Baldwin. The Count of Edessa was persuaded to accept, and despite some initial resistance, soon established his authority, and was crowned the first Latin king of Jerusalem. In reality, though, Baldwin's kingdom consisted of isolated pockets of western settlement, vastly outnumbered by the indigenous Jewish, Muslim and Eastern Christian population. Only by subjugating Palestine's ports could Baldwin hope to secure lines of communication with Western Europe, open his kingdom to Christian settlers and pilgrims, and tap into local trade opportunities. The first necessity, therefore, was to purchase as much temporary assistance as possible. The Genoese, Venetians and Pisans responded in return for one-third of the booty and a trading quarter in every town they helped to take. Towns like Caesarea, which resisted, were violently sacked, but those that quickly capitulated were treated well. In Acre, for example, Muslim citizens were permitted to remain in return for payment of a form of poll tax, and the port soon became the Latin Kingdom's trading capital. But even when the region was conquered, there was still the problem of defending and governing it. The Crusaders never succeeded in capturing the cities of Aleppo, Hama, Homs or Damascus, which would have provided a desert as a line of defence. Instead, their territory was restricted to a thin region along the coastline, where the frontier became the mountains of Lebanon and the River Jordan. Fortunately for the Crusaders, there were comparatively few passes and river crossings, and these could all be defended by castles. Just as the Normans had done in England a generation before, the Latins built a series of such fortifications the most impressive of which was Crac de Chevalier, built just west of the city of Homs. In the course of the first decade, Baldwin I brought a real measure of territorial security to his young kingdom and forged a crucial lifeline back to the Christian West. In the year 1115, the king succeeded in establishing a small post as far south as the town of Akabar on the Red Sea. Unlike in Western Europe, where territories were often parceled out to nobles to be governed as fiefs in the name of the crown, but ruled semi-autonomously, Baldwin managed to keep the most important settlements within his domain, rewarding service with cash rather than land. The Crusaders benefited from local Muslim disunity, but did have to confront occasional attacks from the Fatimid Caliphate of Egypt from their south, as well as from neighbouring cities to the west, such as Aleppo and Damascus. 
Had the neighbouring Muslims then worked in alliance, the meagre resources of the Crusaders might have been overwhelmed. But instead, the Shiite rulers of Egypt and Sunni rulers of Syria and Mesopotamia were most often at war with each other. In 1105, Bohemond, hero of the First Crusade and now Prince of Antioch, returned to Italy to recruit soldiers for a renewed attack on Byzantium. Prior to the crusade in the 1080s, he had attempted to wrest part of the Balkans from Constantinople. Then, although having taken an oath to the Emperor Alexios, swearing to return Antioch to imperial authority, he reneged on his promise. He justified his actions by claiming the lack of Byzantine assistance in the capture of the city, absolved him of the oath. In Italy, he gained the blessing of Pope Pascal II for an attack on Byzantine-controlled Dyrrachium, also known as Durazzo, in modern-day Albania, the same region he had attacked before the Crusades. It is ironic that the crusading zeal generated from the First Crusade was now being turned against the Byzantine Empire, the very same state that had triggered the Crusade with their request for help. The events showed how much the Eastern and Western Christians had drifted apart, especially since the Great Schism of 1054. As it turned out, this time Bohemond was outwitted by Emperor Alexius, who deployed his forces to cut the invaders' supply lines while carefully avoiding direct confrontation. Weakened by hunger and unable to break imperial defences, the Latin forces capitulated, and Bohemond was forced to agree to a peace accord. Although the Norman was allowed to hold Antioch for the rest of his life as the emperor's subject, the Greek patriarch was restored to power in the city, and the regions of Cilicia and Latakia were ceded to Byzantium. As it was, this agreement was never implemented, because Bohemond never returned to the Levant. Instead, his nephew, Tancred, became effective ruler of the city and refused to give up any territory. The dispute over Antioch between the Byzantine Empire and the Latins persisted over the next century and became a constant bone of contention between the once allies. Tancred was a highly ambitious leader who, despite a failed attempt to take Aleppo, did succeed in consolidating control of the northern Levant. He and King Baldwin I had been the individuals most responsible for transforming the gains of the First Crusade into viable Christian states by the time of their deaths in 1112 and 1118, respectively. The original single-minded spirit of the Crusade was now tempered by pragmatism, with their Muslim neighbours, they were prepared, where necessary, to pursue trade pacts, limited-term truces and even cooperative military alliances. And while the Latins would often personify Muslims and even Greeks as avowed enemies, on a day-to-day -day basis they interacted peacefully with the indigenous peoples. The first serious setback occurred in June 1119, when Count Roger of Antioch was killed and his army was annihilated by the Muslim ruler of Aleppo in the Battle of the Field of Blood.
Hundreds of knights were killed, and the death of Roger left Antioch with Bohemond's nine-year-old son as prince and the king of Jerusalem as regent. In the years that followed, the Crusader states were plagued by instability. Captivity and untimely death robbed the Latins of several leaders, igniting a series of succession crises. Against this background, the need for an injection of military support became ever more pressing. The emergence of two religious orders played a vital role in shoring up Latin control of the Levant. In 1119, a small band of knights dedicated themselves to the charitable task of protecting Christian pilgrims to the Holy Land, many of whom were without means of defending themselves, often being poor and travelling in small groups. At first this meant patrolling the road from Jaffa to Jerusalem, but over time they gained wider recognition and patronage, and were granted the status of a spiritual order, which came to be known as the Templars. Like monks, they made vows of poverty, chastity and obedience, but rather than dedicate themselves to lives of devotion in sheltered communities, they took up the sword to fight for Christendom and the defence of the Holy Land. The organisation was boosted in 1139, when Pope Innocent II granted them special privileges in return for their services to Christianity. Any material gains made from defeating Muslim enemies could be preserved for the order. In return, each Templar knight was compelled to take a vow when he joined that he would remain subject to the regulations of the order and its officers until the day he died. Their example encouraged another charitable religious movement in the Levant to embrace militarisation. Since the 11th century, Jerusalem's Christian quarter had contained a hospital devoted to the care of pilgrims and the sick. After the conquest of the city by the Crusaders, the Order of the Knights of St. John, or the Hospitallers, as they came to be known, grew in power and importance and began to attract widespread international patronage. Despite their relatively humble origins, both orders became very wealthy and were to play leading roles in the war for the Holy Land. King Baldwin II of Jerusalem, 1118-1131, and his Armenian wife had four daughters but no sons. Since at the time there was a perceived need for male rule, they sought suitable marriage candidates who were high-born aristocrats willing to commit to the defence of the Holy Land. The husband they found for their eldest daughter, Melisenda, was Count Folk V of Anjou, and the wedding took place in 1129. Two years later, Baldwin II died, and the two became king and queen. Unfortunately, the kingdom was soon brought to the brink of civil war, as Folk tried to appoint his own supporters to positions of importance, and so sideline his wife. The local barons rallied in support of Queen Melisenda, fearing their own positions under threat, and set out to curb Folk's authority. After a period, the royal couple were reconciled, and Melisenda began to play a central role in governing the realm.
In the long term, these events helped to reshape the nature and extent of royal authority in Jerusalem. Baldwin I and Baldwin II had often ruled almost as autocrats. But as the 12th century progressed, Latin nobility became increasingly able to limit the absolute might of the monarchy. The failure of the Crusaders to push on and capture important cities in the frontier regions, especially Aleppo and Damascus, would come back to haunt them. Internal divisions among them curtailed efforts to keep the initial momentum of victory going. Despite this, no lands had been lost to the Muslim neighbours. But that was soon to change. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The man responsible for starting the concerted Muslim pushback was called Imad al-Din Zengi. Renowned for his warlike qualities, cruelty and drinking large amounts of alcohol, Zengi came to prominence in the 1120s with his support of the Celtic Sultan of Baghdad. He believed wholeheartedly in the power of fear both to inspire authority in his subjects and to drive his enemies into submission. By 1127, he had been appointed governor of Mosul, and the year after also of Aleppo. Aleppo is one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities in the world, perhaps as early as the 6th millennium BC. Such a long history is probably due to its being a strategic trading point, midway between the Mediterranean Sea and Mesopotamia. At the time of the Crusades, the city was dominated by an impressive walled citadel rising out of the heart of the city, atop a steep-sided, 20-foot-high natural hill. Aleppo's Great Mosque, a short distance to the west, was founded in about 715, to which the Seljuks added a striking square minaret in the late 11th century. The city was also a renowned commercial hub, home to a network of souks or markets. In the early 12th century, the city suffered great instability. When Zengi arrived, he adopted several policies that symbolised a strong commitment to his new fiefdom. He first of all married the daughter of a previous ruler and then moved the remains of his late father to a tomb in the city. However, in the first years of the 1130s, Zengi's attention was centred more in Mesopotamia, the richer half of his territories. His primary objective in Syria was not to fight the Crusaders, but instead to conquer Damascus. 
1134, he received an extraordinary plea for help from the ruler of Damascus, Ismail, who asked Zengi to take control of the city. If this did not happen, he said, he would hand it over to the Franks, that is, the Christians. This was a great opportunity, for by ruling Damascus as well as Aleppo and Mosul, Zengi would be in control of a substantial state. The reason for the request was that Ismail had been a harsh and unpopular leader, who, having just survived an assassination attempt, was fearful for his life. In fact, on 30th of January, 1135, he was murdered in his own palace, and his body left on public display. So when Zengi arrived before Damascus with his army to take ownership of it, he found the situation had radically changed, and he was no longer welcome. Resistance in the city centred on a Turkish warrior, Unar. Others nominally ruled, but he was the real power behind the throne. Not an unusual situation in Islam, where legitimacy is highly important, and even powerful men were cautious before claiming a position where their rights to rule could be questioned. Another example of this was in Baghdad, where the caliph had titular authority, but in practice he required the active support of the Turkish Sultan. After initial skirmishes, it became clear that the city would not easily fall, and so a diplomatic arrangement was made. Unar would hold the city, nominally as a vassal of Zengi, but in practice still held effective control. Frustrated, Zengi's army, on the way back to Aleppo, besieged the crusader fortress of Baran. When a relief army arrived, led by Falk, it was decimated. The king managed to escape the sanctuary behind the walls of the castle and was forced to negotiate an expensive surrender. Shortly afterwards, an old power returned to the region, the Byzantines. The emperor, John II, Comnenus, had succeeded his father, Alexius, to the throne in 1118. John was a very capable military leader who saw as his sacred duty the restoration of the glory and power the empire had known in earlier days. However, his primary focus for the initial part of his reign was in the west. He formed a strategic alliance with the Western emperors in Germany, primarily to counter aggression from Roger II of Sicily, who was threatening to invade Byzantine territories in the Balkans. John also needed to fight Hungarians and Serbs to secure his western borders. By the 1130s, John was finally able to devote resources to the east, where the main objective was to regain the parts of Asia Minor lost to the empire after the Battle of Manzikert in 1071. By then, the breakaway region of Trebizond had been recovered, and so imperial authority was stored along the northern coastline of Asia Minor by the Black Sea, as well as the western and southern coastlines by the Mediterranean. However, in the interior, Turkish invaders had now settled and coalesced into powerful states. The Seljuk Sultanate of Iconium, and also a rival Turkish tribe, the Denis Mens, were John's first target. 
After several successful expeditions against the Turks, in 1137, John led an expedition into the region of Cilicia. There, the Armenians had been steadily gaining greater independence, forming their own state, wedged between imperial territory and the crusader state of Antioch. John was determined to reassert Byzantine control in the region and achieve this goal by the spring of 1138. To secure the newly regained province of Silesia, the emperor garrisoned it with 12,000 troops and then turned south to deal with Antioch. The emperor's precise intentions regarding the crusader states is unclear because the sources differ as to his motives. Our principal Latin source, William of Tyre, is convinced that John was bent on the physical conquest of Antioch. The two main Byzantine sources, however, Kinemos and Coniates, suggest John would have sufficed with just recognition by the city of nominal imperial overlordship. Either way, the sources concur that John had been in negotiations to marry his son Manuel to Beramon II of Antioch's younger daughter, Constance. But while the emperor was campaigning against the Armenians in Silesia, news arrived that the regency in Antioch had changed their mind and had instead given their hand to a younger son of the Duke of Aquitaine, Raymond of Poitiers, the uncle of Eleanor of Aquitaine. John was furious and claimed anyway Antioch and its adjoining provinces as his own, citing the agreement made between Alexios and the Crusaders in 1096 as justification. Clearly, John wanted to extend his power over Antioch in some way. Faced with the superior force, Raymond of Poitiers had little choice but to come to terms. According to William of Tyre, Raymond declared himself to be a vassal of the emperor. In return, Raymond would receive the towns of Aleppo, Shizar, Homs and Hammer. These were currently in Muslim hands, but when captured and given to Raymond, he would in turn hand Antioch over to John. This type of arrangement of the spoils of war was the original intention of Alexios when he negotiated with Bohemond back at the beginning of the First Crusade. Following the agreement made, whatever its exact terms were, in May 1138, a joint Byzantine-Frankish army set out for Aleppo, joined by a contingent led by the ruler of Edessa, Count Jocelyn II. Despite their combined effort, the walls of Aleppo proved too strong, so the army turned its attention southward to the town of Shizar. William of Tyre describes how while John was noticeable for his energy and courage during the siege of Shizar, Raymond exerted himself as little as possible, in fact spending most of his time playing with dice with Count Jocelyn. John was so incensed by this conduct that he broke off the siege after a month. In return he received from the Emir of Shizar a generous payment and return of a cross, carved from red marble, which had been taken by the Turks after the Battle of Manzikert. This event appears to be typical of John II's rule. He was an effective army commander, but preferred trying to make small, steady gains, rather than engage in a major battle from which he might 
gain more, but also risk greater losses. The regaining of the cross was an important step in the Byzantine policy of recovering imperial prestige after the disasters of the 11th century. John then returned to Constantinople with important gains in Asia Minor, but having achieved not a great deal beyond, thanks to the seeming inability of the Latins and Byzantines to work together effectively. Then, while on a renewed campaign in Cilicia in 1143, John, while hunting, accidentally cut himself on the hand with a poison arrow. He initially ignored the wound, but it became infected, and the emperor died a number of days later. He was succeeded by his son, Manuel, who immediately returned to Constantinople to secure the throne. In the next year, 1144, while the new emperor was securing his authority in his capital, the crusaders suffered their most significant defeat to date. Zengi had spent the early 1140s seeking to extend his power base in Iraq and minor warlords to his north. One such warlord forged a pact with Jocelyn II of Edessa, offering to relinquish part of his territory in return for aid. The Count set off in the autumn to his allies' assistance. But Zengi heard of the weakening of Edessa's garrison, and sensing a rare and probably unexpected opportunity, switched targets to the Frankish capital. His warband, already equipped with siege weaponry, reached the city in late November. Edessa held out for four weeks, but shortly before a relief Christian army could arrive, Zengi's miners collapsed a huge section of the city's fortifications, and Muslim troops flooded through the breach. One Armenian native of the city wrote that the Muslims, quote, ruthlessly shed an enormous amount of blood, neither respecting the age of elderly people nor taking pity on the innocent, lamb-like children. End quote. Zengi's taking of the city may have been largely opportunistic, but it was a catastrophe for the Latins. With its loss, the whole county of Edessa was open to conquest, and should this crusader state fall, communication between the Muslim powers in Mesopotamia and Syria would become far more fluid and secure. Never before had one of the crusader states, four great capitals, fallen to Islam. Its sudden loss sent fear through the remaining three, undermining confidence and morale. Zengi, so long a looming threat, could be expected to build upon his victory and threaten the rest of Latin Levant. Envoys travelled to Europe to spread the calamitous news and to seek assistance. In response, a huge military expedition was launched, which was later dubbed the Second Crusade. For the first time, Western kings took up the fight, and in a great upsurge of recruitment, some 60,000 troops marched east to save the Crusader states. Be sure to check out the Facebook page of A History of Europe, Key Battles, where I put in maps, images and extra information. Many thanks to listener Bob for his generous donation recently. You can help fund the podcast as well 
by going to the blog www.historyeurope.net and clicking the donate button. Or you can help out for free by going to the iTunes and giving the podcast a review. I hope you can join me next week for the continuation of the story of the Crusader States. I will talk next about the Second Crusade. Until then, farewell. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.